Welcome to Southern Discomfort. This is one of the most unique podcasts on the internet. Southern tales of the weird, wild, mysterious, unusual, voodoo, Voodoo. cryptids, hauntings. Are you intrigued yet? This is Southern Discomfort. Southern Discomfort. And now, your hosts, April and Christine. everybody what's up we didn't leave a promise we didn't ghost everybody um oh we kind of we kind of did we didn't mean to though we took a little bit longer break than we normally do but we're back after a little bit of technical difficulty here we are and happy mardi gras or tuesday if you don't live in new orleans yeah and happy new year because we've back, been back since then but um we've got it we've got a, a good one for you tonight this one kind yeah. of twists and turns, but um, it, it is good. It's just uh, just buckle up, I guess. So, this one is it takes place in well all over, but really mainly in the Opelousas, Louisiana area. And in honor of that, we um, for our drink du jour, we have the Raging Cajuns IPA. It is um. It's from Bayou Touch Brewing, and can't ever say that word. Bayou Touch Brewing. Brewery. Yes, there you go. In in Arnaville, Louisiana, which is nearby. That word is hard. It's, it's like, I don't know, it's really not to some people, but that one, that one gets me every time. So, um, this one is, it's light, and, um... Uh, not one of my favorites you'd think i'd like it on paper um it it kind of makes sense you'd think i'd like it. it's a little bit too too bitter for me even though the ibu is only 12 but it has um so it's i'll just read the description it's a flavorful light body dry crisp and snappy craft ale and it's um and because of all that i think i would like it but i didn't um it's a kroll style ale Brewed with barley, rice, and multiple editions of German-grown noble hops. You definitely wouldn't like it, but I thought I might. Um, but the interesting thing is it is made with Louisiana rice, so I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. So, like I said, um, we'll, just, just, we'll just get right into it since we made everybody wait long enough, okay? Tonight we're going to talk about the... Kidnapping of Bobby Dunbar, and it's um, it's basically I got most of the information from a book written by the granddaughter of Bobby Dunbar called A Case for Solomon. It's Bobby Dunbar, the kidnapping that haunted a nation. So Margaret Dunbar, Cutright, and Tal McThenia, and this one, like I said, buckle up because this one's this is a good one. Yeah, we just did the math, so it's what a hundred and eight years ago. It is. It's this is a story that takes place a hundred and eight years ago in nineteen twelve. I almost said two thousand twelve, but nineteen twelve. But um, also highly recommend reading the book. Um, it's definitely, if you really want to take a deep dive into it, it's definitely worth it. Um, and then also, This American Life 
did an audio. So if you don't have time to sit down and read, they did an audio with um, a lot of great interviews with the family. And then that way you can really get into like the, um, the just the personal side of things. Because I, I, when I called you, we were ready. Actually, we were ready to go. And I found this. And I said, holy shit, we really need to include this because this is great, really good stuff. Yeah. Don't you it was think? definitely worth putting it off a little bit longer to um, absorb all of that, as it were. Yeah, so take a listen to that. But um, we'll just get right into it. So Robert Clarence Bobby Dunbar was the firstborn son of Leslie and Percy Dunbar in 1908 in Opelousas, Louisiana. So he had a brother who was two years younger. His name was Alonzo. And when Bobby was 18 months old, he walked through some red-hot ashes, and this left a disfiguring scar on his big toe. And then also there was an incident where he had um, run into a sewing machine and left a scar above his right eye. Um, And just an interesting note, Percy, his dad, he had an accident when he was younger, and this involved shooting and firearms um, and left him with his left leg. With a cork leg. He was like an amputee. So he had a cork leg. And then he would do this funny parlor trick where he would, when people didn't know, he would take a, nap, a knife and stab him's cork leg. People would just like recoil in horror. <laughs> you can imagine like, that's kind of weird though. So I'm going to take a knife and just like stab your leg. Be like, what? So, yeah. Parlor trick. That's a neat parlor trick. Yeah, that was before the internet and YouTube though. Before they had YouTube challenges. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Percy was a member of the Democratic, the local Democratic Party, and he was also on the city's primary board of supervisors. So he was very prominent in the Opelousas area. So um, in August of 1912, the family took a trip to um, the a cabin at Swayze Lake. This is uh, right... It's very close to Opelousas. And one thing I did do is I Googled this in the Google Earth, which is pretty amazing. And it's very primitive. Well, it's actually a swamp. Yes. Very swampy. Very Lake's swampy. a little misleading. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and you know what it is? It's, it's, um, it reminds me of an oxbow lake. Um, which it's also not far from the, the Oxbow near us, which is, well, I guess I was me, which is uh, False River. Mm-hmm. Although this one doesn't have a bend like an Oxbow, it's just part of, um, it was a remnant of the Mississippi River. Yeah. So now, like you said, it's very dense, it's very thick with vegetation, and it's, it's swampy. But um, then... At that time, that was something that that families did, though. They could take a day trip because this was on the railroad. It was a pit stop on the railroad. And they even advertised it as, come take a day trip. You know, you go to Swayze Lake. You can take the rail. Be fun. That's it. Take the kids. Take the alligators. It'll be fun, they said. Alligators and snakes and, yeah, fun. Anyway, so... The family was there with, with um, it was actually Leslie, the mom's. It was her uncle's cabin. And so their family was there, Percy, Leslie, Alonzo, Bobby. 
and then they also had uh, other people there. Percy's cousin Wallace, his wife, two sons, and then Leslie's younger sister, Rowena Whitley, and a family friend named Paul Mitzi. And then what the book describes as a servant girl. So, um, they were there for a fish fry. Well, they were actually there to camp, but that, this particular day that, um, that we're going to talk about, they were having a fish fry, and they were getting everything ready. It was a lot going on. Like I said, there were 11 people there. And um, that day, Leslie recalled putting sandals on Bobby. That's pretty, that's significant. So a boy, he, he walks up, and he has a message for Percy. So there's a David Thornton that lives about a mile away, and he needed a deed notarized. So um, little Bobby, he wanted to go with his dad. His dad was going to get you know go ride by horse and go notarize this deed. But um, Bobby wanted to go, and he found out he couldn't go. He started throwing a crying fit. And in the middle of this crying fit, he has a straw hat on, and he's, I'm sure, arms falling about and, and such as little kids do. He snaps the strap, the chin strap, under this hat. And so his dad didn't have time to even fix it, so he just kind of pushes it further on top of his head just to, like, hold it, which I could totally relate. Like, look, I don't have to Whatever works, man. Just, just make it work. Right. So... The strap and broke it, and he just kind of pushes it on, on his head. And he and off he goes um, to go notarize his deed. And then Paul Mitzi that we had mentioned earlier, he's the family friend. Um, he's 30. He um, he loved Bobby. He was They had this friendship. He would take him horse riding, and he even had a lovingly cutesy nickname for him. Um, he called him Heavy because he was kind of a little chunky little... Chunk them up. A little on the heavy side. Yeah. For, you know, as you are when you're four. So, and that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Um, and that day, Mitzi was going, they were going to go shoot garfish at the lake swamp because they kill other fish. So, you know, you mm-hmm. want to get rid of the gar. They're, have you ever seen those? They're, like, very menacing looking, too. Yeah, I've caught one before. <laughs> Yes. Well, I didn't catch one, but I was very close in proximity to somebody who did. It was just like, that thing looked like a monster. I thought it was an eel. And then well, I thought it was I, a shark. Yeah, when I pulled it in, I was like, what is that? Yeah. I don't even know what that is. It's a, it's a menacing sea creature is what it looks like. Yeah, it's worth a Google if you're not familiar with the garfish. Yeah, and they also call it alligator gar. See, unless that's a different species, I don't know. I'm not that. No, I, I'm. I'm. I'm pretty sure it's the same alligator or gar. Alligator gar. Yeah, they also make gar balls too. <laughs> like salmon, salmon balls, but they also make. You know, we'll make anything down here. We'll cook it up. We'll get anything from wildlife. And make it into a meal. Because who said that thing is ugly? Let's make some garballs out of this. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to make some garballs yeah, out of this. Yeah, this thing is disgusting. Let's, um, look, it looks like a monster. Let's make some garballs. Okay. I bet they taste great. We'll roll them up, deep fry them, and then they won't even be able to tell. Anyway. So... 
Bobby begged his mother to go sheet uh, and gar with Mitzi out at the you know down to the lake. So it was the lake house, and then it was a short walk, or it could have been a long walk, but it was a walk to the lake. So he begged her to, and she said, "Okay, that was fine." So she let she agreed to let him go. So Mitzi walks down the lake, and along with Mitzi and Bobby, Alonzo, the two year old. Because I guess back in 1912, that was a great idea. <laughs> take two-year-old. two-year-old. Right. Just, yeah. Shooting garfish. But Minty was 30, so I'm sure they thought, okay, everything's going to be fine. It's fine. It's going to be fine. One of Wallace's son went down with them. So it was a group of boys that went down there, and they shooting the gar. So then they came back after they have been down there a while. And then Lessie sees the, the group of boys coming back, and she says she doesn't see Bobby. She's like, where's Bobby? And that's when the group realized um, Bobby wasn't with them, and uh, well, Mitzi starts yelling for Bobby, and the, at least Leslie's in a full panic. Like, she's yeah. like, where is he? Um, and I guess I should point this out, too, that it was reported that Bobby's last words were to Mitzi when he had warned Bobby to get out of the way. He said, get out of the way heavy or I'll run you over. And Bobby said, you can't do it. you know bigger than me. And so, <laughs> yeah, how precious. Like, that's a, reportedly those are his last words. So, Leslie started panicking, like I said, and she's, like, calling out his name, looking everywhere. And then at that point, there everybody that was there, they just start looking for Bobby. And they just start going down the wagon roads, the dirt roads, and then they run into Percy, who's coming back from the Thorntons. And they look around and they find footprints, but there's footprints in the mud everywhere because it's swampy. It's a big swampy lake, alligator, snake infested swamp. So they look for his hat, they look for his clothes, they look for anything, they couldn't find any of this. So then they came upon these bare footprints and they they took his sandals. Like I said, Leslie had put his sandals on earlier and they held him up to these prints. And they decide, okay, these must be Bobby's because they fit. They follow the prints south along a wagon trail all the way down to a dead end. It came dead end to a T with the railroad tracks. And this is just a few yards west of a wooden trestle over the lake. This is a, a, a train trestle that goes over the lake. And then the footprints crossed over the railroad tracks. They dropped down an embankment to a sand pit on the other side. And they also said that they detected signs of a fall, like, on the way back up the embankment. And it was, like, where he had, like, tried to go up the embankment and then fall back down, which I thought, this is pretty fascinating. And then on the railroad tracks, the prints appeared again. And then they go for a little ways and they just disappear. Which is, um, which caused a lot to, a lot of people to believe that maybe he was abducted, abducted by someone on a train. Like maybe, and this is, this is something that I thought was kind of strange, but they thought that maybe someone had, I even saw where they thought maybe someone had scooped him up while the train was moving. Surely it was just going really slow. But that's, I mean, is that even possible? I thought that was kind of crazy. So, um... And then so the search went on and on. And, and one thing they did was they dynamited the lake. And I thought, why did they do that? Like dynamite the lake, but that was to displace the water. And then I thought, oh, that's pretty brilliant. That's pretty smart for the day. You know, you don't have 
have um, a lot of the things and the tools that you do now, but they said, uh, you know, we'll just dynamite the lake. That will displace the water. We'll look and see if he's on the bottom. Of course, that I'm sure they were thinking, well, he was already drowned at the time. And then um, and then they dragged the lake, too. So I guess they did have hooks, though. Um, some of the things that they thought was um, they thought that he had been bitten by a poisonous snake or um, even a loggerhead turtle and maybe slapped, snapped his limb off or he had slipped into the water, which sounds very likely very likely ended up in this in in this lake. I mean, just pick something in the swamp that could have gotten him. Yeah, absolutely. Any of these things. Snake bite, turtle. Um, the other thing they said that was pretty interesting to me was they thought maybe his blood was poisoned by mosquitoes, which was very oh. likely. But yeah, right. And it doesn't that conjure up like some sad little four-year-old just bitten by mosquitoes. It does, but that's also reaching a little bit, I think, in sure. this in this instance. But I mean, they were just they were just probably just thinking of any in all scenarios, any possibility. Yeah, yeah. But the main thing they thought he was eaten by an alligator, which absolutely mm-hmm. that's that's actually what I think. Maybe we can kind of get into that later, but. So they, they looked for alligators, they killed them, and then they would um, slice their stomach open just as, on the house side as I, just to see if your boy is in there, you know? That's, that's yeah. got to be just, just gut-wrenching. Um, and then they thought they had found something when they found a, um, the white part of a, the belly of a deer that was bloated. And um, so, just if you can imagine, just ups and downs already. I tried to search for, for Bobby. But um, by the time searching in, oh sorry, but searching in like that dense of an area, like it just seems like you know the odds are are totally against you for sure. And just looking at the pictures on Google Earth, Google Maps, I just this is a pretty big, long lake. I can't even imagine that you even could feel like you searched all of it. But you know. By the time that word got out, they had actually had about 500 men looking for him. So maybe with 500 men, they kind of thought they like covered all the grounds. Um, and then they're dynamite and they're dragging the lake. So um, this was also interesting. They got a straw hat, just like the one that Bobby was wearing that his dad pushed down on his head. And they threw it in the water because they wanted to see how long it took to sink. Mm-hmm. And um, because they thought... Well, are we, you know, will we see? Because they really did think he went in the water. And then they, this the hat floated for hours. They're like, surely we would have seen the hat, you know, if he went in the water with the hat. It, it wouldn't have sunk. It, you know, for hours. So anyway, um, there was a, there was an award. At first, it was $1,000, and that's about $22,000 in purchasing power today. But then, as time went on, like this, the sightings come in. These were sighted everywhere. Um, They placed ads in the newspaper all over. And one thing like this turned into a nationwide, um, just everybody all over knew about this, and they were following it. You know, because this is before internet, before TV. This is before any you know, anything like that. That really, they just had the newspapers, and 
And it, I mean, I did, I did read that 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 it was a nationwide, like everyone was on alert nationwide. Yes, they were. Um, even the Black Hand was blamed, which I thought was interesting. And I wouldn't even have known what this was had I not even listened to a podcast episode not that long ago about the Black Hand. It's actually a, a secret society for Italian Americans. Almost said in America. But um, they were, they were, <laughs> they had, because there was terrible sentiment toward Italian immigrants, and, and yeah. is, Louisiana is certainly no exception. But um, they even mentioned um, some octoroons. Oh, where, really? Yeah, because, and that, you know, a throwback to our Storyville episode, but they were accused of being Italian, which was actually looked down upon. Um, worse than at that time in Louisiana. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. yeah. There were sightings in Lutcher, Gulfport, Ohio, Atlanta, Loosedale, Osaka. They had a I, really strong lead um, from some guys in Macomb. Wow. On the rail, yeah. Then the um, reward was bumped up to about $5,000. So that is, so that's 6000 total in... That's about $157,000 reward looking for him. So, And everybody was looking for him. Oh, I'm sure. They were looking. I mean, it went as far away as Philadelphia. They were going door to door. I know. Everybody was looking for this boy from Louisiana. And then the Dunbars and Opelousas, they were prominent. This family was. Um, so that was one thing. Like, they had means so they could use their influence to to try to have people, like, look for this boy. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's when it, so everybody was interested in trying to find him, but um, money motivated, absolutely, absolutely. And Leslie was spending so much time looking for Bobby that Alonzo was actually forgetting her because when she had come back after um, a month or so, like he would scream and cry when he saw her, and he, yeah, it, that was pretty sad. So she has, you know, she's lost one boy. And now she has um, spent time away from her youngest son, who um, who ended up, you know, at least in the short term, actually forgetting about her. That just shows how much she was actually out there looking, how long she was away from him, Alonzo, anyway. So um, in a- April 1913... There were many accounts of a man who was a piano tinker or um, repair or tuner. And he was seen with a little boy about the size of Bobby, kind of a, roughly the description. And this is in Poplarville, Mississippi. And um, they all thought that this was weird. Like, what is this single guy? It just stood out. Mm-hmm. Was this single man doing with this um, four year old in tow? Where's his mama? Right. That's, what they That's exactly head. what they were saying. <laughs> like, where, where does he belong to? And who's his mom? So they found him. These And these women, they they were really concerned because they, a group of them had noticed and witnessed him whip this little boy about three times. So they're like, what's going on here? Like, what's really going on here? So they know that the whole nation is looking for Bobby Dunbar and they're like this has got to be Bobby Dunbar you know this this weird man 
<laughs> he didn't have a his little boy didn't have a mama and he's like this man's just whipping him you know and so like like what's really going on so that man's name was William Walters and he was actually arrested for kidnapping for kidnapping Bobby um, he had t- oh, the other thing was he had told several stories because they're like well, they questioning they're like what are you doing with this little boy and he had different stories he couldn't really hold on to the same story and they're like this is very suspicious I guess back then they didn't need very much to arrest somebody <laughs> well and he just, didn't do himself any favors by not being forthcoming about where he happened well, upon Bobby right yeah. Um, so Percy found out Bobby's dad found out and he went to Mississippi to he first to see the boy um, and then there was a moment that he thought that the boy recognized him but then he looked away I thought that was pretty interesting it's kind of he looked up and he thought so but in the condition that this boy was in he was they described him as being dirty and like he was disheveled. He just didn't, he looked like he hadn't slept. And then probably not, you know, and I understand conditions were much tougher back then. But, you know, if you're just being carted around by this piano tinker, you're probably, in, and you're going really from pillar to post and you, cause you're finding lodging. Cause that's what he would do, right? This the Walters would um, tune the piano. Well, he would ask for lodging and food, and he really found out that if he had a boy with him, people would be more willing to open up their homes and allow them to stay with him and feed him. And you know, feel sorry for him. Plus, they would dote and, and ta-ta on the little boy, and even give him a bath and like brush his hair and make sure that his clothes were tidy. Right. <laughs> yeah, they, you know, I'm sure I can picture it. The women, like, loved it. They're like, oh, little boy, we didn't have a mama, so let's take care of him. You know, the motherly instincts. But back then, everybody was like that because they, in the whole, like, it takes a village to raise a family, that was the whole thing. It's not like it is now, but, um, so, and then, and it, in exchange for these things, Walters would, in their piano and called it Tinker. I'm not sure. Did he play it? I'm not like, what is that? But it's just like, do, 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 do. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. I've never heard that term. When Leslie first saw him, he Bobby was sleeping and she was uncertain. She didn't know if this was her, her boy or not. See, but, okay, I'm not a mother, I don't have any children of my own, you are, do you not know that that's your baby? Right, and, okay, let's just point this out, even though I gave the, the time, it's eight months, so it's only eight months, which, eight months, that's probably a long eight months for them, because they didn't have their Bobby, I get that, I struggle with this. I go back and forth because, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess you would have to know maybe, like, the conditions. Was he dark? Was it dark and she didn't want to wake him up? And, you know, or does, and does your heart want it to be so much so? And that would be the case if this is your boy that they found that you just throw everything else out the window and you're like, yeah, that's my boy. 
Yeah, that's him. So one yeah, I mean, I, I struggle with it too, but I mean, obviously there's a lot more to, to tell, but yeah. I just wonder, you know, that because he could, you know, it's true. It could have been the lighting, you know, he could have lost weight. Yeah. He could have been disheveled and, you know, right. unrecognizable to her. I get that. I do. Right. But I feel like I would have run in that room picked him up, Woke him up yeah. and examined him from head to toe, smelled him like, you know, <laughs> I would have, I feel, right. I feel like, I, but I don't know because I, you know, I don't, I don't have young. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I've, yeah, me too. I feel like I wouldn't have just let him sleep. If I hadn't seen him in eight months, I wouldn't just let him sleep. And, and then who knows this, like we said, this account is 108 years old. You know, I'm not saying that that's not exactly what happened, but but there's a lot of things that I'm sure they're missing. Yeah, there, there's to... gonna surely there's gonna be things that are missing. I get that. I just I kind of wanted your perspective on that because yeah. when I first read it, I was like, mm. yeah. Well, that's just it. My neat jerk reaction is, and there's no way I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know any of my kids. I would just know them blindfolded, blind. You know, and I say that, but I didn't live in 1912, 1913, you know. I didn't, I just, I don't know the condition of the boy and things like that. I mean, are we giving them too much? I don't know. And like I said, I think a lot of this is the mom just wanting it to be so much because you can convince yourself of things oh, that the aren't. mind sees yeah. what it wants to. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I mean, I'm going to go back to that too. Yeah, me too. And I really do feel like that's what it what it comes down to. And we can certainly get into okay. more of that later. But um, so here's where it gets like just all over the place, right? Because the the newspapers have contradicted accounts, and this is what um, Margaret, who the who wrote the book, she's the granddaughter of Bobby Dunbar. This is what she found out, and she was of course so frustrated that. Um, some newspaper accounts said that Leslie didn't, that she did recognize him. And then some other, some other ones said that she didn't. So it was just, you know, that's what all she had to go by to write this book. And essentially is all what we have for the story. So, um, they also said that Alonzo recognized, or he recognized Alonzo. And then someone said that he didn't. And so it just kind of goes back and forth with that. So you don't have anything um, concrete or everything there. So I read that he said, um, oh, I have a brother. <laughs> yes. And then he also said, at one point he said, I'm ready to see my brother Alonzo. Yeah, that, that's what he said. He's like, I would like to see my brother. And they were like, well, does he remember Alonzo or did, did he hear people say yeah. he had a little brother? Yeah. And that's exactly what I thought too. He probably heard a lot of this going on. So, um, and then he also had recognized some sandals. And I, I think that's the other thing that kind of feeds into the whole thing. Like there was the, they just kind of held on to all these positive things that pointed in his direction him being their son because um he had made a comment about the sandals he said oh those are the sandals like the ones i had at home so but how many different and had pairs he heard that the day of she put the sandals on him like right, right. and then in 1912 13 how many different pairs of sandals and styles would you have had to pick from 
in the Sears catalog or whatever it was. It probably wasn't even the catalog. That's a good point. You know, everybody was probably wearing the same sandals. I don't know. Just maybe. But so they, here's the thing. So this is also murky because remember earlier I said he had the scar on his toe and he had one on his eye, above his eye. So they, there are accounts that they recognize these scars and these moles. But then also, they looked them over, and then like the newspaper account, some of them said that they, they didn't. He didn't. He didn't have any scars from head to toe. So that's also very murky, and it's very just wishy-washy back and forth. Well, see, the thing that I read said what you did about her going to see him when he's sleeping, and then she said she wasn't sure... Then the next day, she had the opportunity to bathe him and said that she recognized that it was him because of his scars. But there again, that's one account. Right. There's others who, you know, where it said she didn't recognize him. Right. Absolutely. I did see that as well. That's in the book. So, yeah. And then, but... They, this book does a really good job of, of like covering both accounts as well so then sometimes you're like well, wait a minute did he did he have the scars or did he not have the scars or did, you know just trying to sort all this out I can't even imagine how she tried to un, un, well the whole story it. is baffling all of it absolutely so then um, there was a parade there's also I, I kind of found uh, accounts of where this parade was like it in Columbia, Mississippi, or was it in Opelousas? But they had a parade. Shrouded in mystery. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, he rode in the fire truck. Um, I also saw an account or heard a report that he that they bought him a pony. Um, I, don't, I don't know about this. I, they had horses. They had horses. You know, he rode horses. Percy rode a horse to go sign the, the deeds, notarize the deeds. So... They, they just they had horses i don't think they actually purchased i mean i don't know maybe they did maybe they're like oh here's a pony but um maybe they did actually they maybe they only had horses and they went and bought him a pony so that report that was um an episode i saw they were trying to make something out of it like oh they had a parade for him and they bought him a pony so of course he's gonna say you know this is my family this is whatever he's gonna love it and want to live the life but i don't think that was a big deal like for, you know, for him to be like, oh, this is, this is where, this is where I am. This is, this is my life. But okay, well, the well, maybe. all of the attention was all on him. All eyes were on him. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and they had means, so yeah. But then also too, he had just, just been um with this tinker, the piano tinker. So he's just like, wait a minute. I'm like going this is from way better than being with the tinker. I'm going from house to house on this wagon. I'm dirty and I don't know where I'm going to get my next meal. And, and then it's like, Oh, here's stable as much as a four year old knows stability. And then they're like, yeah, it's like fire trucks and ponies and you know, all the great things that they have your own room, your own bed, you know, a brother. Woohoo. I don't know. Never, we never had one, so no, we don't know about. <laughs> I don't that. know how great little brothers are. So. <laughs> but shout out to all the little brothers. So, what? but I kind of have one 
and um my nephew he was like a little brother that's true that is true a little bratty brother but he loved him <laughs> so um the newspapers were all over the story following it and that and that's what they were reporting they were reporting that um that that they didn't believe that this boy was Bobby because they just kind of latched onto the first thing that they thought that Leslie said. In fact, they were outside of the house, so just anxiously awaiting, like, what is she going to say? Is she going to, you know, like, is this going to be her boy? Is it not her boy? And so word had already gotten out that it wasn't, so they ran with that. And then um, even the Mississippi and Louisiana governors, they were involved because there was the whole extradition from um, yeah. the Walters guy. He, you know, there's Mississippi, well, Louisiana writing the, the Mississippi governor at the time. And, you know, you need to extradite Walters, get him back over here and have a trial. And, and um, also there was pressure with the local law enforcement because I saw where Sheriff Day actually showed interest in wanting the reward money. So, of course, they were pushing from their angle, like, this is the boy, this is the boy. Like, this is just all over the place. Can you imagine? Like, this is just newspapers saying this, law enforcement saying that, and they're all wondering, like, what's the family, what's the verdict? So, um, like I said, they had arrested Walter, so he's on charges, in jail, on charges for kidnapping. And... um, that's when he decides, and he'd already given all these stories from about the little boy, which was so suspicious, but in jail when he's facing these kidnapping charges, that's when he decides, hey, okay, okay, here's the, the real story. The jig is up. Here's the real story. Let me tell you what the real story is, okay? Um, it's Which, why you, Why didn't he tell that in the first place? Yeah. I anyway. It wasn't really clear, but I think he was still trying to... Um, at first I thought he was trying to save face from his, um, because the story he told was that, that he said, okay, this is the truth. It's actually his brother, his late brother and, um, a lady had a, a boy out of wedlock and he, a love child, right. <laughs> and then he was taking the boy, he had taken the boy because his brother had passed away. So, um, and he, we can't forget that the little boy was advantageous to his tinkering right right yes so which is why he kept wavering on the story but and then he came claims like okay 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 his mother is from north Carolina, barnesville north carolina and her name is julia anderson so now we have another mother that's entered this story okay and so she made an official statement because word got back to her because right he's in jail right and he's like i'm not going down i'm not going down for these kidnapping charges um i'm gonna bring you know julia anderson in the picture so she uh word gets back to her she makes an official statement and so she says that this that is her child her name is bruce anderson and that she only allowed walters to take the son to visit his family for just a couple of days he didn't know she was going to take him. Like, Actually, she said that he was in Walter's custody since February of 1912, which Bobby went missing August of 1912. Right. It was a long time to have a little boy, you know, that you were only supposed to take 
for what a couple of days right and so she said that her boy her son's eyes were blue but she didn't have a picture um and but she could identify him she said for sure um but she stated that walters had the boy like i said since february and then um this is certainly before bobby went missing but um and well and okay so how are you just okay with this dude having your little boy for that long, though? Well, like, he, you d- yeah. So here's the thing. She, I don't think that she was okay with it. Because they described her as being, in fact, the newspapers were not kind to her. They, um, they described her as being a coarse woman with, like, dirty hands and bare feet and worked as a sharecropper out in the field. And... They, um, she, yeah, I could like live in a hard life and was poor and didn't have any money. And, and so if that's the case, I have to imagine that if that was her condition, then that's all she could do was like work and just get enough money to scrape and, and, and live, you know, and just get by really. And not, she but didn't. there again, <laughs> I submit, how are you not, you know, Going to the ends of the earth to find your child. Okay, okay. first of all, Christy, she was a woman. And we know women back in... Because they had only just been able to vote in 1914... So nineteen. This is even before women could vote. Like they're like, oh, we women weren't even full fledged citizens yet. Okay, I right, got it. Right. So you're that, right. Put that in perspective. Women were like, like men. Men beat their women back then. I mean, I'm to say they don't now, but they they certainly did. Like that was a way of life, and women can say anything about it. And if they did, they what? They would just get beat down more. And and that was the thing. Like, they didn't get prosecuted for that. The charges weren't brought up against them. Well, where was Mr. Anderson? So when Walters confessed when he was in jail because he was facing the kidnapping charges, the story he told was that it was his brother's mistress. It was his brother and a mistress, his mistress, their son, and that the father died and then the mom couldn't take care of him. Yeah, you said that. I, that that was my oversight. It's okay. When um so but when and we were also wondering about this too as well. So when Julia was nineteen, she married a man named Elijah. Elijah. He and he was twenty seven, so he was quite a bit older than her. And so the day after their wedding, the day after they took their nuptials, um, he shot her in the foot. So that didn't work out too well for her. Um, five months later. Didn't he shoot her on their wedding night? Um, it could have been. I saw it was the day after. So okay, it was yeah. like right around there. Either way, the honeymoon was definitely over. <laughs> you know, with, with your group, it's not funny. But, I mean, I, it is. But I think that's a fair assessment. When your groom shoots you in the foot, like, okay. And then back then they could, and that's the that's what's so crazy about it. It's like back then they could do that and not be held accountable for it. You know what? Here, cheers, women, because we've come a long way. The story took place before we could even vote. So, anyway. So, she left him five months later. She was carrying a baby, and then it didn't survive. But the newspapers found out about this, and they also didn't take too kindly 
about her um, in the newspapers because they would write things like she didn't even, she lost her child. I mean, my gosh, she couldn't help it. I mean, they didn't even talk about how she got shot in the foot by her groom because, hello, it's probably men. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure it was that was writing in articles. Oh, yeah, it had to have been. Right, so I didn't know this was going to be a men bashing episode. <laughs> it's not, but... When she was, she wasn't legally separated or divorced from Elijah. So she, and then she met a traveling shoe, uh, shoe salesman. Ooh, say that five times fast. While she was, and she was actually waiting tables at this point. Um, and she got pregnant with his child, and that was Charles Bruce Anderson. Okay. He wasn't in Bruce's life. I'm not even sure if he knew, but he wasn't in his life. Um, but it is important to note, I'll um, note this, that Bruce didn't have any scars. He had blue eyes and he didn't have any scars. And the newspaper wrote that the boy identified as the Dunbar's claim as, as the Dunbar's claim was their son. He bears decided marks as a means of identification. So this is what I was kind of one of those when I say it just goes back and forth. You know, the Dunbar's claim that he has these scars and moles. And then you have Julie Anderson saying, okay, he has blue eyes and he doesn't have any scars. So how could it be Bruce? Right. Um, it was also said that the um, Bobby's eyes were not the same, like, um, shape and or distance as um, Bruce. And, and one thing that came up, a couple of times was why didn't they because they had flyer uh, or the equivalent of flyers but certainly pictures in the newspaper but they never put them side to side the pictures huh. of bruce and uh and bobby that's pretty interesting yeah because you could i found pictures of bobby right yeah and then um uh, but there is some in the book though there is a side by side they don't look anything alike well i didn't I couldn't imagine that they did. I think, well, well, anyway. Yeah, and then Julia even, according to an affidavit, she said he has no marks of identification. That's why she said, I don't have a picture, and uh, but I can identify him. And it makes sense if she was poor. It sounds like she was dirt poor. She would not have been able to afford to have the child's picture taken because didn't... Right. You know, you'd have to pay somebody to do that because you don't have a camera. Right, of course. And I'm sure those cameras weren't cheap because they were probably the kind that you got under the the um, the, the curtain and you, like, had the thing you held in your hand and it would, right? right? Is it, am I right on this? No? Yes. What, what kind of camera did they have back in 1912? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, don't come for me if I don't. Don't come for me because I don't know what kind of camera. Anyway, um, so newspaper, a New Orleans newspaper. They didn't say NOLA. I don't even know when NOLA was founded, but that's exactly what I was talking about. But it was the handheld crank one that came out. It's portable. But anyway. Um, it, nevertheless, they were too expensive <laughs> if you're dirt poor to own, much less be able to pay somebody to take one. Yes, right. That's that was my point. Thank you, thank you for having my back. So, a New Orleans news. I'm like our producer off off mic over here. Is um, 
poo-poo and all this. doesn't matter. Anyway, a New Orleans newspaper paid for Julia. Well, he did um, clear an embassy, so I guess he feels <laughs> so, like he can. So he, knows, so he knows about cameras. Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. That's a stretch, but okay. <laughs> stretch, you know, during his, like, land nav classes. I may not so. get another opportunity. I had to get it in. He did. Take a drink. Everybody drink. So... <laughs> <laughs> New Orleans newspaper paid for Julia's trip to Opelousas to identify the boy because this was like, th- so this was the, this was the 90 day fiance of the time, right? Can we just all agree on that? That this was the whole like, we're following like the, the day by day was reality TV. That's what I was thinking of, of the day because the newspapers and, were in the newspaper. It. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, this was scoop. This was news. So they're like, yeah, let's pay for Let's see how this unfolds. We're going to pay for her to go to Opelousas. She certainly didn't have the means. So she, um, I'm sure, jumped at the chance to go find her boy. Um, so here's what they did. And this is so, so sketchy. Um, sketchy is probably not the right word, but this is so wrong. They set it up so she gets to New Orleans. I mean, Opelousas. Um, she gets there, and so the uh, they they decide that what they're going to do is a kind of a uh, like a lineup. Mm-hmm. Like they do like usual suspects. Yep. So they take they have five boys. Bobby's one. Alonzo's one of them, and um, they're five in total, and they're going to parade them out and let her see them and. See if she can identify which one is hers, which is so, this is just disgusting to me. It's just, it's really just, this one got under my skin. And so, because Percy was there, and him and all his people of influence that surrounded him, they were coordinating all this. They Mm -hmm. were the ones that put this on, their idea, they, they control the whole operation. So, um, they, and these boys come out, and then one comes out, and he's crying. And she actually asks, is this the boy that you found? And they wouldn't tell her. Which, so Julia didn't know for sure if, if, if Bruce was hers. Um, well, this is, let me get this straight. Who they were, who they, the Dunbars thought was Bobby, but she was claiming it was Bruce. But, when um, she'd asked about the boy that was crying, and they wouldn't tell her because she said she asked, "Is this the one, the boy that you found?" And then, so she didn't know for sure. She was upset. She was crying, and so she begged for another chance. She's like, "Can you please give me another chance?" And they said, "Okay, well, you know, we'll come back the next day, and we'll try this again." So um, they allowed her the next day to see Bobby. And then um, she undressed him, and she said that was her son. But also, the newspapers had had just ran with the story that she said the day before. She didn't know that was his, that, that was her. So the newspapers took that and ran with it and said that she doesn't know her son. She wouldn't um, know her son. She doesn't care about her her children. She just has them and leaves them. Um, like I said, they called her a coarse woman. She worked in the field. She had dirty bare feet and coarse hands. Um, they called her illiterate. They just really painted her in a very 
not um, flattering light. And so, um, anyway, so back to to Bobby. She, well, okay, I guess I should say this. So after she gets ridiculed in the newspaper and treated really harshly, she doesn't have any money. She doesn't have any money for an attorney to fight this or to even stay, actually. So she goes back to uh, North Carolina. And then, so Percy and Leslie, they take Bobby, they take him back to Opelousas, and they um, they start living their life. But they also have a trial. You know, they, they go to court over this. And the, the um, it takes a couple of years, but they the court finds that Bobby is actually... Bobby Dunbar, that's the Dunbar's son, Bobby. And um, and Bobby had said things like, a big man took me from the lake that day. Um, another little boy fell off the wagon and died. Like that, He was saying, like, all kind of crazy things. Uh, so. Well, yeah, so that was the thing. Um, I think, wasn't it when... As a young adult, he was interviewed about um, the kidnapping, and he mentioned another boy being on the wagon with him and um, Walter. Yes. And then also that he had shoved somebody in a stump. Yeah. What? <laughs> right. He was, he was saying all these crazy claims. Um, so, you know. I'm, I'm not sure where it's laying on that, but just wanted to point some of those out. Um, so back to William Walters, who's in jail and convicted of kidnapping. They actually find him guilty. So he's found guilty of kidnapping. But um, it, he appeals it. It goes on appeal, and, and Louisiana Supreme Court, they rule for a retrial. So then it goes back down to the, the courts, and they say, you know what, the first court costs so trial costs so much money we can't afford this. So they actually dropped the charges. So he is free. They let him go. He's released. Um, and then Julia, she ends up moving to Poplarville, Mississippi. She moves from North Carolina to Poplarville because while she was um, there for trial, these the people of Poplarville, Mississippi really took her in and they remembered the boy with Walters, and um, this was the mother of the son that they had cared for, like you said, had bathed, and they had to mm-hmm. die, and, and um, so they actually, they took her in, like, and it, that's pretty interesting, because here's a woman from North Carolina who has it really rough over there, no money, you know, to share a crop or working out in the field, and then it takes her moving out of North Carolina, she moves to Mississippi, and, like, really, they just don't even really judge her or anything like that they just take her in and get to know her um so much so that she feels comfortable moving there uh and like i said bobby went off to live in the dunbars and grew up as bobby dunbar um and then so things go on but then five years after the courts rule that bobby is the dunbar son um percy and leslie actually get a divorce uh-huh they actually divorced. This is five years later, which is really sad. Like, the aftermath of this family is pretty sad. Um, Percy actually beat and stabbed the man. And um, Leslie divorces and leaves her sons with Percy, and she moves to New Orleans. Yeah, that, that bothered me a lot. 
Right. So some said that maybe that was why she just she kind of knew that this was her son, not her son. On some level. So that might have been easier for her to just say, you know, my husband's crazy and um, I'm moving to New Orleans. Now, Alonzo was her, so that was kind of sad. But, you know, that's that might be kind of, I don't know what you can read into that, but that that's, um, that's what happened. Um, so then years later, so Margaret Dunbar Cutright, who's the author of A Case for Solomon, um, the book I mentioned earlier, she's actually the granddaughter of Bobby Dunbar, and she she lost her, her brother, and so her father comes to her with this whole file. Actually, she explains that this had been, everybody in the family knew this, and they had talked about how um, Bobby was kidnapped from the lake that day, and that um, they found him in Mississippi, and they brought him back. And so those, they just always talked about that story. And then so her father comes to her after she lost her brother and said, you know, here's something, here's a project for you to work on. And it was just thousands of newspaper articles. And so she just totally submerged herself in this whole story looking into it. Um, and she, of course, she said nothing was in order. And as we explained, some accounts said one thing, some said the other. So she had that that project of actually untangling that whole, like, ball of n- knots, you know. And so, which is how, you know, she came to write the book. But um, she would pour over other articles um, that she had, at one point, her husband had bought her a um a membership to the Library of Congress, and she just spent hours and hours researching this. And so, um, they it came up. Um, there's also a reporter involved. And at one point, the idea came about was, um, would the family be willing to take a DNA test? Just put this to bed. Let's find out. Let's take a DNA test. And so she she said she'd only do it if she'd get everybody's um, family members on, you know, all the family members on board if they agreed to it, which they did. And so um, they later said that the reason why they agreed to it was because they just knew that was that was uh, their grandfather, her grandfather, her dad's father, you know that Bobby Dunbar was a Dunbar and they were just going to find this out and that was going to be it. And so um, they actually took two different lines. Um, they even tested Alonzo's line because he was the the actual, you know, there was no doubt he was the family. He was Alonzo. So they had this DNA taken. And so... It comes back and she gets the results and she's even claimed in one of her interviews that the um, the lab technician just blurted it out over the phone like it's not a match thinking she's like she must have thought it was some kind of um, yes a paternity test because she said she didn't even know she's like she didn't even realize the impact of what that was and essentially what happened was it tore this family apart because like I said they they agreed because they didn't even think it wouldn't even be Bruce Anderson, you know, that it was going to be Bobby Dunbar, but um, they were all shocked and torn apart. Um, They even blamed her for tearing the family apart on this, which is sad because at that point it's like, who am I? You know, who is my family? 
Well, because it's collateral. You've got the Dunbars. You've got the um, the Bruce Andersons. You've got um, Walters. Walters. You've got. Uh, I think I called him Walter earlier, Mr. William Walters. You've got all of these families that are impacted, and there's this there's this collateral. I say collateral damage, but it's really collateral. I mean, it's collateral emotional damage. Right. Right. Absolutely. C- certainly. Um, so, the, um, that you mentioned the Andersons, and, and you mentioned that it was all these families. So, the Andersons, their version of the story was that their Bruce was kidnapped. You know, that's what that's what their family had always said, you know, because the Dunbars, they had their version of what happened, and then the Andersons, they, they had always told the story that um, their Bruce was kidnapped and that they changed his name. Um, so Julia actually, like I said, she moved to Poplarville, but she ended up being a nurse and a midwife. Um, the newspapers had once called her illiterate, but her family members recall her reading to them. They said she had founded a church. She was very, very um, involved in, in their church. And, um, well, didn't she go on to have like eight more kids? She, she did. She got married. She had seven, seven more children. Um, they, they had pointed out that they were very poor because when her mother died back in North Carolina, in order for her to go back for her mother's funeral, they had to actually sell the family mule. So they were really, um, they were, they were pretty poor, which because they pointed out they never did go to, Opelousas to even try to look for him, even when they were older. Um, they said they were pretty intimidated of the the Dunbar name. That Dunbar yeah. was on every building in the in Opelousas, and they just, they just didn't. Um, I certainly can understand that, but I thought this is pretty um, interesting. So, one of Julia's son, uh, she's his, uh, her two youngest, and these are the interviews on This American Life. Hollis and Jewel. And so Hollis told a story that he remembered an account when he was in his 20s. He said it was around 1944. He was working at an ice plant in Poplarville. And a man came in and he started small talk and he said his name was Bobby Dunbar. But a customer came in and he had to go tend to the customer. And then um, when he came back, he they made a little bit more small talk. Another customer came in and by the time he came back, the man was gone. So, um... That was his recount. And then also Jewel, Alice's sister, Julia's daughter. She remembered when she worked at a service station that a man came in and she drank coffee and just asked her all these questions. Just sat there drinking coffee and asking her questions. And she, she thinks that was Bobby that came in there checking on her. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so Margaret had, had told these stories to her side of the family and so Gerald was Bobby's youngest son. He remembered when his family drove up to Cincinnati, Ohio for a brother's wedding when he was around 13 and this was the 19 in the 60s. So they drove through Mississippi and his dad he remembers his dad saying, "This is where they came to pick me up from. Should I stop?" And so his wife said, "If you think you should." And so he did. He went in, he stayed about 30 minutes and then got back in the car and went home. Oh. Yeah, so this just stayed with um, with all the families because it affected all of them. So, especially those two. But like you said, um, one the, the, the affected all these families. So the Walters, 
when they okay so when they found out about the dna um the walters were the ones who were totally relieved because that totally exonerated uh, william William, certainly in their eyes and then the andersons they were validated because that was the bruce that that they knew that was kidnapped or taken and his name was changed and it was also interesting to know that the andersons uh, started calling him Bobby because I get when he grew up, you know that was that was his name. Yeah. And then, um, but it was the Dunbars that actually actually ripped them apart, which is sad because you know this story doesn't have like a overall happy ending for everybody. There's closure, but doesn't necessarily make it happy. No, it doesn't because at the end of the day, there's still a little boy. That went missing, and no one knows his, you know, no one knows what happened to him. That's right. And I've told this story so many times because that's what I do when I get involved in a story, you know, I tell, tell everyone around me that is even willing to listen, and even when they're not, I just tell them anyway. And um, that's what everybody ends with is what happened to Bobby. Right. Because you're right. Like, this is a fascinating story, but at, but then at the end, there's a little boy that's missing and um, and that got eclipsed by the whole kidnapping and rehoming and you know that got eclipsed by all the Dunbar drama with Percy and the mom leaving (laughs) and then you know then years later after most of the family is dead and gone then it's revealed that 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 actually was not right they the didn't. Bobby Dunbar. That's right, and you're totally right that it got eclipsed because they just stopped the search. You know, I don't. I mean, and then he was never recovered. So I just, I think that he fell into the Swayze Lake, and I think an alligator ate him. Yeah, I think you know whether it was an alligator or any other, you know, swamp Predation. dwelling. You know, I, I feel like I feel like he he died there. That's what I feel like. Yeah. I do too, because, um, you know, they didn't, I mean, uh, bobcats, I'm sure, I don't even know, like, large cat. which large cats are on Louisiana, panthers or anything, I don't know anything. Bears, I mean. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Black bear are are all over Louisiana, especially in that area, Um, but I feel like that you would have seen, like, the hat, they would have, and this is what they got trace hat or some clothes. With that, that's why I think, yeah, he fell into the, he ended up, he fell into the water, and he, uh, he was eaten by an alligator. I really do feel like that. And hopefully, this is terrible to say, well, I shouldn't even say this, but, you know, hopefully, if that did happen, you know, like, he, he had already gone before he got eaten, you know, like, that's a horrible way to go. It is. There's no good way to go in this (laughs) scenario, but, or ever, but, yeah. I don't know. It's just very, it was very heavy. And, and I was not expecting that. Like, you know, when you, when you first told me about Bobby Dunbar, I was like, oh, that, that's interesting. Like, I think we should cover that. But I didn't realize going into it just how heavy it would be. And so, Clearly, you know, I believe that this is a story worth retelling. Yes, absolutely. So, 
even as yeah. old as it is it and it is very prolific all over uh youtube um lots of podcasts have covered it there was this one was there's no way we weren't gonna cover this one um just beginning just the location and geographic location that it is but um I do highly recommend at least, at the very least, go back and listen to um, This American Life, the audio with the interviews. Yeah, that 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 one is is absolutely worth the listen. I haven't read the book, but I do take your word for it. Yeah, and the book is A Case for Solomon by Margaret Dunbart, Cutright, and Tal McFinia. Um, And that's it. That's all we have. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, thank you. Until next time. And thanks for not giving up on us. Um, you can find us on Twitter at so Disco PC. You can email us at southerndiscomfortpodcast at gmail.com if you have any listener suggestions. You're tired of hearing um, from this area and you'd like us to branch out, which we promise we will do. Um, we're also Instagram at Southern Discomfort PC and Podbean, Southern Discomfort at Podbean.com. Good night, everybody. I had to say it right all right let's plow through this you've been listening to southern discomfort with april and christine as you can tell this is one of the most unique podcasts on the internet so we want you to be able to reach out to us send emails to southern discomfort podcast at gmail.com on facebook at southern discomfort podcast and on instagram at southern discomfort pc and for shows visit southern and this podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts till next time keep one eye open because you never know what you might see this is southern discomfort Signing off.